And I go through a roundabout and I almost got hit by a car. And the demon in the back of my head said, that wouldn't be so bad now, would it? And I said, holy crap, wow, you are there. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. So glad you're coming back here. Um, I just, I say it all the time. I just love to connect with uh, people and share other people's stories, including my my own, so that we can offer hope to those who are struggling out there, be it uh, other types of addictions, um, just being stuck in life and things like that. I had the pleasure of a good friend of mine in my networking and women's networking world, her husband reached out to me and said, you know what, I've, I've heard about your podcast and I want to share my story. And I think that that's very brave uh, for anyone to do and certainly um, no doubt brave for Larry today. Uh, so I welcome Larry Brassfield today and I'm really excited to share your story, have you share your story and just was really thrilled when you connected with me and uh, just again, give you that the kudos that you are brave to want to come on today and have a have a greater audience to share your story too. So welcome today, Larry. Good, thank you, Moira. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I I mean it when I say it really is a a privilege and an honor to share my story. And, you know, as I look back on it, uh, sometimes, uh, no, not sometimes, it's not easy to to really open the door uh, on the darkness that's there. But in recovery, we say that we, we keep it by giving it away. Uh, this is part of the 12 step as well. And uh, so it's all meaningful to me. And, uh, you know, I, not only will it help me, but I also believe and trust and hope that uh, even if it just helps one person by being vulnerable and open and honest, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It sure is. And, um, um, you know, I know that as you shared your story with me before, I mean, it's a, it's a long story. It went on for a year, lots of things like that. Again, many people, I spoke with um, uh, a gal this week who started struggling when she, or yeah, started struggling, you know, in her late twenties and, you know, there she is in her late thirties or no late, late teens. I don't know. It went on for 20, 25 years till she really was able to address it. Um, a gentleman yesterday I spoke with started at age 14. And when he decided to get sober, he said, you know, when he was like in his forties, he said, I don't know, it was like giving up a good friend of mine. Like, how do you say goodbye to a good friend that you became friends with when, you know, 30 some years ago. So it's okay if it was, I don't say that for to, you know, it's okay if it was a long, cause I think the most important, if it's long or short story is that you decided to make a change and to move into a better a better life. Yeah, well, <laughs> and we'll get to that part. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how much I, I decided as to, uh, I mean, I, I truly hit a rock bottom point in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was uh, certainly the point of change. And, um, you know, I, 
I, I've learned there's no original statements uh, in whether it's AA or NA or, or whatever, anonymous. There's many 12-step groups out there. But uh, one of the ones that I really latched on to is uh, somebody early on told me, if I could give you the gift of recovery, I wouldn't because I, I wouldn't want to deny you of the journey. And, you know, so as you talk about, you know, my journey uh, in many ways, you know, I believe that uh, my addictions are really a product of uh, uh, early childhood trauma that, you know, really had me predisposed to uh, the addictive uh, behaviors that really manifested themselves and became prevalent to, in my adult life. I also like to say we're all recovering from something, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a physical, mental, uh, emotional abuse, you, you name it. So, yeah, and I didn't choose this. I didn't want this, but it was certainly what I needed, you know. So it's been a long journey. And, and how, how long have I been in recovery? Well, I, I've been in and out of the rooms of AA since 2013. Um, so I, I've learned a lot. But then uh, as, as we'll, you know, get to further on, uh, my recovery has really been a multifaceted, uh, you know, whether you want to call it a three-legged stool or a triangle of mind, body, spirit, uh, that's really, it's been a combination of these three things. And uh, at one point, uh, my sponsor pointed out to me that it wasn't these three things that God magically intertwined them all. And then it just became this recovery lifestyle that I continue to live uh, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is great. And um, it is, I think it's what I've heard over a year, you know, for over the year that I've been sharing people's stories, you know, you have to find what works for you. And it can be in the realm of, you know, a program, a book, uh, whatever, but you have to find what works really and resonates for you. It's not always one size fits all. And I mean, your story, you can, you know, again, share a, a bit of your story um, as much as you'd like, or as little as you'd like. But I know that, again, you've had a history of some abuse and, um, you know, trauma in that area. And again, we don't like to share all the down and dirty of the story, but just really kind of those things that happened along your life that, you know, can kind of moved you towards behaviors that weren't so good, but it was kind of helping you cope with, right, those things that had happened in your life. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, as we were talking about this, and I, I was getting ready uh, to, to speak here today, uh, you know, and even laughed about it earlier when you said, well, how did I finally decide on recovery? I, I didn't decide. It, it was truly a rock bottom moment, uh, you know, at which point I, I did find myself in a therapist's office. And, uh, you know, therapy, the, the mental therapy uh, was certainly one of those three core pedestals that my recovery, you know, does stand upon, uh, at which point it, it did take me back to early childhood trauma. Uh, you know, the rock bottom point uh, in my life was uh, it was August of 17. Um, I had just left my house, my wife at the time and I. Uh, it was the third and final of uh, three separations over four years, 23-year uh, marriage uh, that ultimately did end in divorce. And a uh, big part of uh, the failing of that marriage was uh, certainly my addictions and my addictive behaviors. 
uh, and I would self-medicate. Uh, but I, I also, you know, was a, a very competitive uh, high school, college athlete, and even into adulthood. And I loved running, and running was therapeutic for me. Except uh, I thought it was okay, and this is where my addiction, I, I allowed the demon to lie to me that it, it was okay for me if I would just do one or two one-hitters before I went out on a run, because it just really opened up my mind. And, and my mind, I would tell myself that, you know, my body will go as far as my mind will take it. So let's open it up. Anybody else doing this? You're freaking nuts. But for me, it's okay. And, and again, I've learned that, you know, that was the demon and the addiction lying to me. Uh, but since I was out of my house and I was in an area I was unfamiliar with and I had on headphones and dark sunglasses and, uh, you know, prior to that, I had reached out to a number of people, uh, my little sister, who's my best friend. Um, I called suicide hotline <laughs> on somebody else more than once. And they said, I, I think, yeah, I'm worried about you. And, oh, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. Uh, no, don't worry about that. I, I would never do that. I've lost numbers of friends, countless, you know, to addiction and suicide. So I would never do that. And I'm out on this run uh, with an altered mind, certainly, and I go through a roundabout and I almost got hit by a car. And the demon in the back of my head said, that wouldn't be so bad now, would it? And I said, holy crap, wow, you are there. <laughs> and I was just, I couldn't deny it anymore. At that point, I, I just finished off my run. I didn't even change my shirt. I headed off to a, a meeting called my roommate and I said, top dresser drawer on the left underneath the socks, that's where my stash is. Take it, flush it, smoke it, sell it. I don't care. I cannot have that in my life anymore. And he understood the magnitude of the situation. And the next day I ended up in front of a counselor, uh, a wonderful, wonderful woman who, who really did help me. And I ended up getting EMDR, eye movement dissociative reprocessing therapy, uh, because you know, I had made reference to some of this early childhood trauma. And, and I had researched it a little bit. And quite honestly, I was very skeptical. And I, I'm gonna guess you're, you're familiar with EMDR? I am to a certain extent. And I think I told you before that we haven't talked about that on this program. I'm familiar with it. I have a couple of friends who actually are therapists that do that. So I, yeah, I was glad that um, that we were able to, you know, talk a little bit about that because many, well, we, ha again, we haven't talked about it on the show and it can, it's a pivotal for PTSD, for trauma. I did a recording yesterday with a, a therapist um, and we talked about PTSD, that it's not just those war veterans. It's any type of trauma, if you will, be it big T trauma, small T trauma, you know, abuse, emotional abuse, whatever. And right. um, yeah. Yeah, right. So yeah, honestly, I was skeptical. And to me, as I looked at it, and I describe it to a friend, uh, you know, in a layman's terms, I said, it's not hypnosis, but almost. And uh, so anyway, uh, she decided that would be the most effective way to treat me. I agreed to it and uh, entered into EMDR therapy twice a week for probably almost two months. Uh, and it was incredibly powerful. Uh, I will tell you that the, the eye movement, you know, there, there's a couple ways to do it with 
uh, you know, the, the fingers in front of the eyes that that didn't work for me. So she had me close my eyes and put my hands out and she would tap and she did a real good job of preparing me. Okay. We're going to take you back to that moment. I want you to just center yourself. It was like doing yoga or, you know, a lot of the, uh, the mind body things that I've learned since, but uh, she would help me calm myself, center myself, focus in on that time, that moment. And then I would close my eyes and then she would tap and then, okay, what's coming up. And then I would speak to it and I would say, you know, a couple things, a, a phrase or a sentence. And she'd say, okay, go with it. And then again, just continuing. And then, you know, 20, 30 seconds, what's coming up. And it was just uh, incredibly powerful and it opened the door into lots of things and and uh, so over the next few months as as she just guided me through you know this this horribly difficult time in my life she kept talking about this book by Bessel Vandercook the body keeps the score and then she was also talking about the ACEs study and at that point I was traveling a lot and I was just all I did was I worked worked out I worked on me so I went and I bought the book and I started and I'm the guy that you know I buy a book and never waste my time on on the prologues or the forwards but I, I bought this book and I'm sitting alone in, in a house where I'm renting a bedroom and then I've got nobody there nobody to talk to so I'm like well I'm just going to read through this and I and I read uh, in the foreword where it says uh, one in five Americans was sexually molested. One in four was beaten by a parent to the point of a mark being left. One in three couples engage in physical violence. A quarter of us grew up with alcoholic relatives and one out of eight witnessed their mother being beaten or hit. I said, holy cow. And I stopped and I went and got a highlighter. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to read this. I'm going to study it mm -hmm. because it just, it, it just really resonated with me. And you already talked about it, you know? So, and what this whole book is, is about is whether it's little T or big T, it's all trauma and it leaves a mark on us. And it goes on to say, it leaves traces in our minds and our emotions, our capacities for joy and intimacy. And it was just amazing. And so then she started talking about this ACEs study. Familiar with that? Acute childhood experiences? No, I don't think so. That's a new one. But I know, yeah. but the, again, the therapist that I interviewed yesterday, we talked about that book. I mean, it's a great, it is a great book. Right. Yeah. So in, in the ACEs study, it's, uh, you could look it up. It's a simple one, uh, 10 question uh, test. And, and essentially, uh, different childhood experiences that will predispose us uh, to, uh, you know, addictive behaviors, problematic behaviors that will manifest themselves and, and come out later in their lives. So I went online and I took the test and I was a seven. And it, it went on to say that, you know, if you score four or more, you're like seven times more likely to be alcoholic, drug dependent, uh, depressed, thoughts of suicide, sexually promiscuous. I mean, all the isms that anybody could have in their life. 
by having these childhood traumas, we're predisposed to them. And so with my story, you know, that early childhood trauma, I was, I wasn't physically abused. I, uh, but I did have a major, major concussion. I don't even know if I was four years old. I may have been three and a half, but I climbed on top of a table, put a chair on top, uh, on top of a box on top of a table to turn on a light and fell from at least six feet, if not more, onto a bare cement floor, was knocked out cold for over 20 minutes. My mom used to tell me the story. I was white as a sheet, laid out in the back of the car. It wouldn't start. She's a young mother. And, uh, but I mean, then that was one of uh, three or four major concussions that I had in, in my life. But I mean, to have something like that, uh, a major, major brain bruise by the time you're four. And then uh, less than a year or a year or so later, uh, I witnessed a, a horrible, uh, just a, a horribly violent attack on my mother uh, uh, to where uh, I will, I will never forget the, the, the horror uh, of watching my mother and screaming for fear of her life, you know, being attacked by a monster, you know, that ends up, you know, somebody comes to the rescue and then police cars are there and, I, you know, my brother and I were literally, you know, hiding underneath the kitchen table. And then uh, a year later, I, I was sexually abused. And, and it wasn't the proto, you know, the classic, you know, grooming by a family. It, it was one time by a, a teenage neighbor boy, but it, it was incredibly traumatic. And of course, I never told anybody about any of that. And I, I just stuffed it and, and kept it inside of me, uh, became the, the compulsive, obsessive eater. I was the chubby kid. I, I wet the bed until I was eight, nine years old every day. And some of those things that I think in hindsight, parents of today who are more educated, it's, hmm, that's a red flag. What's going on here? But, you know, th that was what, 1970-something? And... Um, and so I just stuffed it and stuffed it and stuffed it. Um, got involved in sports, loved sports very much. And that became my outlet, that that's where I just became this incredibly competitive kid. Wasn't blessed with a very athletic body, uh, but I loved to compete. I loved to train and, and uh, was never going to be the biggest or the fastest, probably not even going to be the strongest, but I, I knew that I could be the most intense and I could work harder than anybody. And I always knew I had this thing inside of me. And uh, I, I'm a truck salesman, so I have a lot of truck analogies, but it, it, if you're familiar with that, whether it's car or a truck and average RPMs of a good engine is in the 1500 or so RPMs. But if you get up to 3000, you're redlining. Well, I felt like I was uh, redlining, you know, through life, but I, I thought it was good. Um, or if you think about a teapot, you know, it's on the, if it's on the stove and you get it up to that boiling point, but it hasn't just gotten to the point where it steams and starts to whistle. I think I lived at that boiling point. But then if I could take that onto the playing field or onto the wrestling mat, man, you know, and, and what I've learned since is I, I just carried this anger and this rage inside of me that really was fuel. But you know what? It served me really well. And so I loved it. I, I, learned, to, I learned to love it and embrace it. 
Well, I think, I think there's a lot of people that, that, um, that do that again, it can, things from the past may, they're not good, but it does, it does fuel them to sometimes our addictions or our issues and things like that can lead us to doing positive things, or again, driving us to be successful in sports or, you know, organizing your business or whatever the case is. And so, you know, that's, that's good. But like you said, and I think the important thing that for listeners to hear is that, again, your body was keeping the score, right? It never did forget about those things that happened. And so perhaps in someone else, maybe it wouldn't lead to, but I got to build, I mean, there's just so much that's stored in our body that if we don't take care of them, if you will, if we don't address them, then it, you ju- we really can't lead, lead a full, joyful, intimate, authentic life. Cause there's always yeah. something there, right. That's we just, your body's remembering or your mind is remembering, right. Even if you stuff it down or don't want to look at it, right? It's still there. Like I give the analogy of when I talk in when in the wellness field with people, it's like you're driving a car and like the warning light comes on, right? And like you just look at it and you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. And then it's just still there. And then you're like, oh, well, then you're going to take a little duct tape and you're going to cover it up so you don't see it, you know? And like, okay, but it's but it's still there, right? Underneath <laughs> it all, it's that light's still on. <laughs> I mean, right. either you address it or not. Right. Well, denial, you know, denial is just an acronym. It stands for don't even notice I am lying. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that one before. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember me. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not a Larry Brassfield original, but I, I love it because, yeah, I lived in denial, you know. So, yeah. So there, there's the context of it. So then the first time I, I was 12 years old. So, you know, with all that stored up and, and I believe now I, I was 12 years old. First time I got high. And I think I was just, I believe I was an addict just waiting to happen because all of a sudden that those RPMs went from 3000 down to 1500, that boiling point went down to a simmer. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow, this is awesome. I wish I could, I wish I could feel this way all the time. Obviously I couldn't, I was 12. You know, so then, you know, ultimately what, what, you know, the way it manifested and played out in in my life was, uh, you know, as a high school kid, you know, uh, and then into college, you know, smoking, smoking weed and and drinking beer, um, you know, it, it would just be once I would start, I I never wanted to stop. And I remember at some point when I was uh, probably 17, we lived in Rockford. And back at that point, um, the drinking age in Wisconsin was 18. We were 15 minutes from the border. And so it was pretty well known that uh, kids would go up to Beloit and hit the bars. And of course, my dad found out that that I had done that once uh, or twice. but it's just, hey, I just don't want you drinking to get drunk. And I just thought to myself, well, why else would you drink? <laughs> right. Especially yeah. at that age, you know, mm-hmm. but then into college, you know, and again, that's where just, you know, and I've, I've heard people, I'm sure you have too, addicted to more, <laughs> more of what? Well, what, what have you got? You know? And so, you know, as a college kid, 
uh, you know, so then it was, you know, if I was drinking, I mean, there was, there was one destination. It, it's either blackout or pass out, you know, it, but again, and, and then I balanced all that because I, I was still an athlete, you know? So, you know, and I felt like it did serve me well and for others it might, but then, yeah, I carried it into my adult life, you know? And, and again, that just, uh, that rage inside of me, then, I, you know, I got into sales in a very competitive industry, selling and leasing trucks and just, yeah, would wake up with that same competitive fire that I, I thought this is good. This is, yeah, if you're not with me, you're against me and I'm, I'm just going to work harder and everything else. And, and it, it served me really well until it didn't, but you know, uh, there, there did come a point where uh, again, just, uh, you know, end up, you know, getting married, having children, et cetera, but still, you know, couldn't drink every day, but man, when I did, Katie barred the door, and then the next day I would hear about the horrible things that I would say, uh, you know, to to the kids, to my wife, to to a stranger, who who knows, you know, uh, uh, you know, just uh, any number of things that that just, uh, and I knew that I had a problem, you know, and I had so many countless scrapes of. Uh, should have lost a job or should have not gotten a job or whatever. Uh, I mean, it certainly did have many implications and there were lots of red flags and warnings that I just ignored them all. Uh, but it got to a point and also, you know, going back to the multiple concussions and the brain bruises and everything else, the last of which was uh, a motorcycle accident uh, without a helmet doing 50 miles an hour, bounced off a car, separated my shoulder, ended my wrestling career. And again, knocked cold, you know, woke up in the ambulance, I don't know, or in a hospital 20 minutes later. Uh, but, you know, so shortly thereafter, I started getting these migraine headaches and I dealt with that and I wrestled with it. Eventually, I figured out that alcohol was triggering the migraines. And again, I believe the body was keeping the score. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and but it, it just got to the point where it was so debilitating with the migraines. I ended up going to five different doctors, night and sleep lab, neurologist, all these other things. Finally found a medication that was a pill. Uh, but I, I needed to really catch the, the front end of the migraine, take the pill, and it might take 15, 20 minutes. And if I didn't catch it early enough, uh, you know, man, I was, I was just going to be on a hell ride because uh, the, the train left the station and, man, I, I was in trouble and it was going to be a long night, you know. And, uh, but it got to the point where I would actually uh, have an ice pack ready because the only way I could get any relief would be to get an ice pack and lay down in a dark room for hours uh, and then take the, you know, or, and with this medicine. And I was to the point where I would wash down that pill with a shot of whiskey and then throw the ice pack on my head, just hoping that I was getting in front of it. And, and if that's not denial and if that's not sickness and addiction, I don't know what is. Finally, I got to the point where I just got afraid to drink and my brother and his family were coming into town for Christmas. And I just said, I'm not gonna drink today. And, and then I did it for a week. Uh, and then I carried with me, um, and that was back in 2002. But anyway, I white knuckled it, as they say, uh, never admitted I was addicted, never admitted I was powerless, never went to an AA meeting. Uh, but I knew that, you know, alcohol triggered these migraines and I became a classic prototypical dry drunk, mm -hmm. just 
angry at the world and all of the addictive behaviors without the substance. I tell people, if you Google dry drunk, an image of me comes up on page two. All right. And, you know, I think the um, it's great that you share all of that because uh, it's just it's good context. And, uh, you know, you're not alone. I've you know, I, we've heard the stories before and things like that. And even with a gentleman that I interviewed yesterday, again, years and years and years, but he truly believes that he said, there's a purpose for me to continue to be here. And I believe that that happens, that there is a greater power that, you know, knows that your work is not done on this earth. And so even though you had uh, those, you know, you should have been, should have been, shouldn't have been alive, or like, you don't know how you ended up someplace, like, because you're supposed to still be here. You're supposed to be here telling the story. You're supposed to have met your wonderful Barb, my friend, who and Mary and have a wonderful life together. So, you know, again, I'm not here to say that, you know, but I mean, but it's like, I believe that there's a, I do believe there's a higher power that watches over us. And even when we get into our troubles and all of this crap from the past, we, it doesn't end because we're meant to find our way into recovery, into a better place so that we, and you've shared that with me, that you have helped so many. I mean, people have helped you sponsor in your 12 steps, but you're also helping other people um, by telling your story and helping them and bringing them to meetings and things like that. And I think that that's, that's a great thing. And it's an admirable thing and a reason for you that you're still here. Yeah, thank you. I, and I do believe it as well. It's funny that, you, you know, we talk about it. My ringtone on my phone is uh, uh, my story by Big Daddy Weave, you know. And, uh, if I told you my story, you would hear grace, you know. And, uh, you know, with, with AA and many recovery programs, they're not religious. They are spiritual, uh, you know. It, and for me, it's about my relationship with my higher power, who I choose to call Jesus, uh, so I, there, there's a very strong connection. And I talked about mind, body, spirit, and it's amazing uh, because it, even in AA, they talk about mind, body, spirit, service, unity, that to thy own self be true. And, and so, yeah, my recovery really was AA, uh, 12 step, you know, the, the counseling. Then I started running, and then I also got involved in a Christian men's ministry, and that's where they all just got intertwined together. And when you talk about taking those things and using them, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite passages from the Bible is Romans 8.28, and it says, and in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And uh, that's that's proved itself to be so true in my life that uh, this this worst moment in my life, no, moments, plural, uh, have become the turning point, that, that rock bottom moment when I, I realized, you know, gosh, that wouldn't be so bad if I got hit by a car because uh, I could never commit suicide. I just don't have anything to live for. Holy cow. Uh, that worst rock bottom moment in my life became the foundation of my recovery. And, and so then the worst day of my life became the best day of my life, you know, and, and it's played itself out time and again, whether I'm walking out of divorce court, whether I'm sitting in the unemployment law office, whether I'm getting waking up in jail, getting terminated from a job, all those things can turn you to finally say, get it together. 
you know, get it together or die. And that's, you know, those are your options. You know, there may be a temporary stop at jail or hospital, but get it together or else you're going to die, you know, and how do I want to live, you know, and, and what legacy do I want to leave, you know, for my children and my grandchildren, you know? And so, you know, last part of, you know, or a big part of it, then, you know, working the 12 steps and making amends, how do I make amends, you know, to all the, because I heard everybody, anybody who was close to me, cared about me, loved me. Those are the people I heard the worst, you know, and it's no wonder the marriage failed when I was a prototypical dry drunk, you know, and I used to say, I hate everybody except for my children, starting with me, you know, uh, but what does that, how does that feel, you know, if you're the mother of the children, <laughs> I hate everybody, <laughs> It, it, but it was true, you know, and so how do you make amends for that? And I remember, I'll never forget talking to my daughter after one of those many worst moments. And I just finally said, you know what? I'm not going to promise you I won't do this or I'm going to do that. I just got to let you see. Uh, I, I'm going to have to let you see the, the change in my life. And those are what I've you know, learned to be living amends. You know, and, and a good friend of mine once shared with me that you hear it in the rooms of recovery where you say, well, yeah, I lost my job. I lost my kids. I lost my marriage. I lost my house. Well, I, I didn't lose those. I, I gave them away. <laughs> I gave them away because those were consequences of my actions and, and things that I did and I need to own that. So I didn't lose those. I gave them away. But the really, really encouraging thing, and this, the, the real thing I want to share here is, is you know, the really good things you get back, you know. And, and so, yeah, restored and renewed and reconciled relationships, uh, you know, with the kids, uh, you know, my grandchildren, they're, they're never going to see me uh, you know, if, if I have my way about it and all I have is today, you know, uh, but yeah, uh, they've never seen me with an altered mind. And if I have my way, they, they won't, um, my children will get to see my living testimony of recovery and to be able to share, you know, your, your experience, your strength and your hope for me, that's what it's all about. And that's the life that I want to live. Yeah, it's, it's great. It really is. And, um, what a wonderful, again, testament to your, recovery. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit before we jumped on about forgiveness and I've talked about it on this podcast before, and I've lived it myself and lived it, uh, most recently, you know, as my mother passed this last week, um, you know, I learned that forgiveness isn't about the other person, you know, and I haven't been through a 12 step program, although I've been, um, I've been, well, I've been to Al-Anon, I'll correct myself. I've gone to Al-Anon several times and, um, and I know that again, I know that that idea of making amends with others and and asking for forgiveness or like, I'm so sorry and stuff. And in the end, it's like, I know that sometimes I don't know the case with you, but I know in some cases in mine and others, like maybe that person doesn't accept your, you know, accept your apology or maybe they're not. They're like, well, screw you. I don't want to really be in your life and all that. But the thing is, I know that when we can forgive others, it starts with forgiving ourselves, right? And then just being in that space that, yeah, it's about 
forgiving others, forgiving ourselves and just kind of letting it go and not being, not having those expectations. Like we want them, like, again, as I forgive, forgave my mother silently to myself and things, and I wished that she would say this or do this. And you know what? In some cases, a lot of cases, she didn't, but that's okay. Cause I did what I could do and I forget gave her. And I feel like, again, my relationship ended well with her. I don't know about her side, but on my side, I felt better about it and more at peace because of that forgiveness and that making amends and things like that. So it's, I think that's a power, really powerful statement, statements that you made there. Yeah, oh, it absolutely is. And, and my heart goes out to you so much, uh, Barb and I just, yeah, when I found out last week, uh, we're so sorry for your loss. And, and it really resonates with us. Uh, last week was the uh, anniversary of my mother's death. Hmm. Um, as I was spinning out of control out of that, my mother died suddenly four years ago. And that was certainly just, uh, you know, another element to, to my downward spiral. Um, and Barb's got the anniversary of her father's death uh, coming up here in a few weeks. So yeah, we certainly go our hearts out to you, but th that's part of it. And you know, working the 12 steps. In fact, it's funny that the fourth step is a fearless moral inventory and you make these lists, about, you know, and then the eighth step you touched became willing to make amends and then make a list of the people, you know, and then the ninth is actually going through with that. And I've experienced that to where I, I offered an amends and uh, it, it just got stone cold silence. And my sponsor said, that's great. Keep moving. And I'm like, what? And he said, well, no, he says, the important thing is you became willing. And if, if all you can do is make your amend and, and uh, I'm sorry, you know, with the life that I live and the way that I hurt the people that I did, uh, the word sorry just lost all of its meaning. And so it's got to be more, you know, for me, I've learned to say, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong. And I admit that. And I'm sorry that I hurt you. Uh, and if there's any way I could ever make that, and again, to those people who were the closest and loved me the most, that I hurt the most, there's there's no way I could ever make up the, you know, that's where the living amends has to be enough. And, and you also touched on it too, uh, you know, the hardest person for me to ever forgive was myself, you know. But so the first time I did uh, the fourth step, uh, you know, I made that inventory and then I did my fifth step and then, you know, shared, shared that with somebody, but uh, my mom wasn't on the, on my resentment list. And a month later, I'm reading a story in a group and the reader's talking about resentments towards his mother. I'm like, oh, geez. And I read, I was just completely convicted. And it was like, okay, I need to redo this because I do have resentments there. And I went through it again. And then although she had passed and she was gone, I, I did find a way to make peace uh, with it. Uh, because she's, you know, I, I believe she was undiagnosed bipolar disorder, uh, which is part of, you know, additional childhood trauma, you know, but she didn't know it, understand it, and it was untreated. Uh, but yeah, so it just, yeah, it, you know, you, you, you work through those and, and no, not, not everybody wants to hear it. And, uh, you know, I, I just have to accept it because I can't do that. It's not about them. It, it's me and my stuff and my side of the street. And if they don't want to hear it, receive it, forgive it, that's up to them, you know. 
but yeah, it's so important. And uh, but yes, no doubt, forgiving myself was was the the last horizon. And, and honestly, it's a daily reprieve as I look at it. You know, because ultimately, at the root of all of these isms, is low self-esteem and extreme inferiority complex. You know, as I really look at it, at really what was at the core of those character defects and, and that was there. Uh, and again, that's where my therapist, God bless her, she was so good. She's like, well, wait, if you had somebody come to you and you understood the history of this, then this, then this, and then all these series of events over the next 40, 50 years, <laughs> uh, you know, would you expect it to be awesome, magical? Well, no, of course you went off the rails. It's, it, in fact, it was amazing that I didn't go off the rails sooner. And in many ways I was, it just did not that far, uh, you know? And so if, if you would recognize that and give grace to that other person, why don't you think about doing that for yourself? I think it's a great way to kind of wrap this up again, to look at you know, those important things today that you you said about, um, again, giving yourself grace and doing, like, what are you doing? You're living today. You know, what do you have? We have today. And it's, um, we can't go back and change that past, unfortunately. And we all have, that's what I want people to, to hear on this is everybody's got a story. Everybody has those things, you know, that happened to them and things, you know, and they did certain things because of that. But again, we can't change that. But what we can do today is live today. And we can love, I love what you said, you can, my living, it's my living amends. It's like how I'm showing up every day, and how I'm loving and how I'm loving myself first, and those around me, that's, that's the most important thing today. And I know as a recovering codependent, you know, being staying on, like you said, staying on your side of the street, and not really caring what happens on the other side, it can take a lot because I know that. Um, but that's the best that we can do, I believe, is stay on our side of the street, you know, love and live in a great spot and that and just continue to to work on that. And that's again, it's a great place to be. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, I agree 100 percent. And I do care what, what happens on the other side. Well, sure. the street, so to speak, but but that's serenity prayer because that, that's out of my control. And mm-hmm. again, that that's just a boy serenity prayer. You know, <laughs> ten times a day, <laughs> once in the morning, once at night, and ten times in the middle throughout the day as necessary. But yeah, just you know, coming to realize and truly accept that uh, those things are out of our hands, and I can't get caught up in somebody else's reaction. And then, the, you know, the other thing is walking through life uh, the way that I've learned to now that, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, my beautiful better half or my coworker or my children or somebody, um, you know, if somebody's acting out of sorts to not just react, to say, what's going on? Is there some, there's, there's probably something going on there, you know, I'll be... <laughs> And so, you know, to just have a little more grace, you know, to maybe it's maturity and, uh, you know, I'm delayed, you know, coming to that revelation in my fifties. Most people got there sooner, but, you know. Well, well, that's good. I mean, that's good. Again, it's a good to say, um, like when you see somebody else and they might be, again, acting 
you know, or acting out or just pissed or something. It's like just stepping back and saying, Hey dude, like, are you all right? Like, is there something going on? Like trying to, again, instead of being so like, Oh, reactionary and judgmental about that person. Like, can we just sit there and say, Hey, I wonder, wonder what's going on with, with him and just saying a prayer for them or opening that spot up to say, Hey, what's, what's up? Can I help you? You know, need somebody to talk to that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And just, again, as we wrap this up, any last, I mean, there's so much again that you shared, which I'm so thankful for. Um, I know you've, there's so much in there. Cause again, you're doing so much good today um, in helping yourself as well as helping others. But I always like to give people the last, the last word, if there's anything that you just want to kind of share or just kind of review from what we, what you shared. Yeah, um, you know, I don't have my own podcast and I'm not here to sell a, a book or anything else. I, I just, yeah, um, really, I guess the, the closing thought I would want to share is, you know, if you're struggling or if you have been struggling, if there's demons in your past that you've been wrestling with, uh, there's no shame in reaching out. There's so many resources for help, uh, whether I'm listening to podcasts like this entering into a 12-step program, uh, getting, you know, counseling, uh, connecting with people in your church, whatever works. And again, to me, it's been multifaceted, but, uh, you know, to know that we're not going through life alone and, and you know, and certainly through the pandemic, if, as people have gotten so isolated and that's, I know when I was most dangerous was when I was alone. And, you know, for people to know you're not alone. Uh, you know, and then, you know, you, you talked about it also. All we have is today. Uh, Walter Payton uh, hanging in my wall uh, on my office here. Uh, Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. All we have is today. And, uh, you know, be grateful for that. It is a blessing. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's a better life that we can live. And if, you know, there's no sense suffering, there's so much help and support there. There's no shame in it. And uh, so, yeah, and I just, yeah, just want to encourage you, even if it just helps one person for me to be vulnerable and honest today, it's been worth it. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I know that uh, your story is, um, is worth sharing and I'm glad that you reached out and were brave enough to share it here. And um, again, I say that too, if, if my story or my work here can help one person, then it's definitely worth it. So thanks Larry for being with me today. Really do appreciate it. Again, always appreciate you listeners listening. Um, come back next time. There's always a, another episode coming up next and uh, where we'll share stories of hope and know that you're not alone and um, life is worth living. So we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.